Welcome into NSN Daily. Uh, school has officially, officially started for the time being right now. Uh, we'll get Chris's, uh, Chris's take on that, being able to uh, take, uh, take the kids to school. And, uh, you know, there's an over-under. That's one thing that Chris and I, and I think Alex is on the same page, we love doing over-unders on when we think something's going to happen or when we think something's not going to happen. We'll get into that a little bit. Um, a mailbag extra question in the first segment here. We'll ch check in with that in a second. Alex Margulies will join us from right around Yellowstone National Park. Uh, so uh, talking about his Bryce Canyon trip, which is one of the segments that aired last night. You can catch that on the website. And also some interesting uh, college football news when it comes to possibilities. You know, I mean, right now, I think we're all holding on to, you know, maybe there'll be a season. Will there? What's best? There's a lot of uh, options out there right now. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll drop some takes on that. But uh, starting off this morning, Chris, I saw the tweet. Uh, your two youngsters headed off to school. Um, how smooth was it uh, dropping them off and, uh, and starting that? Yeah, so my daughter goes to DePoli Middle School. Uh, they start school at 725. So that was actually pretty smooth. There weren't any lines. Uh, and then my son goes to Nick Polakitas Elementary School, which starts at 930. Uh, that one was not smooth at all. Uh, there was a line back for about half a mile and there were a number of people driving on the wrong side of the road because they were getting frustrated and they were trying to skip the traffic. So uh, everybody I think needs to take a little bit of a chill pill and understand that uh, if the kid's a little bit late, they're not gonna be uh, tardy in class. Um, so yeah, not, not ideal, but understandable given that um, you know, kids are uh, having to find their classrooms on their own. Parents aren't allowed to get out of their cars. So uh, it sounds like everybody was able to get to their class okay. I was able to make it back in time to uh, tape our show. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks. Uh, hopefully everybody's able to learn and, and stay safe and stay healthy um, as we start to congregate in big groups, which is uh, clearly not something you typically want to do during a pandemic. I, I see your point in so many ways. I mean, I, I see some of the tweets that you respond to and and uh, mailbag and that sort of thing and just chill out take five minutes relax and uh, you know they're not going to flunk your kindergartner because he or she was four minutes late the parent the, the teachers know how long the line is I, I saw an educator and i won't name a name because i don't i was surprised that the that the tweet went out one educator said i'm exhausted mentally you know these teachers are trying to do their best at the same time parents are trying to do their best we're all trying to do our, our best let's just be good just good humans and kind of, mm -hmm. you know, take, take five seconds, wave somebody in. But if you're going to wave you in, wave back. Don't be a jerk. Wave back. Use your darn blinker for crying out loud. It's a little, little tiny things, but hopefully, hopefully school continues. You did give it an over under though, man. You did, you did throw some Murray flavor at the end there. Yeah. I said about a month before we're back to distance learning. Like, I hope it's longer. I hope this all works out very well. Um, but you saw even at the University of North Carolina, they lasted less than a week before they canceled all in-person classes and decided to go to distance learning because they had a huge cluster and spike of people who were getting this infection. So it'll be interesting to see not only how, you know, our local middle schools, elementary schools, high schools deal with this, but also the University of Nevada, which is planning to do kind of a hybrid model, but there are going to be a lot of in-person classes. And I think that was one of the worries when you were looking at Mountain West canceling the fall season um, is just once you start getting your student athletes in the class with other students who are not taking the same masking precautions, not taking the same social distancing precautions, probably going out to parties because they're college kids and that's understandable under normal circumstances. How does that impact your student athlete population as well? So, um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know, I think uh, the Washoe County Health District, uh, Kevin Dick and some epidemiologists said that 
we shouldn't really be going back to school now. And obviously the Washoe County School District leaders decided to go back to school and take a different path and not listen to the experts in the field. Um, so we'll see how it works out. But yeah, I would, I would take the under on over under uh, us being back to distance learning within that. Me in another direction once again, and it's awesome. I, I love it. That's one thing I love about this show is there's so much give and take and there's so many great ideas and thoughts. Um, you did use the word cluster when it came to the University of North Carolina. Being a proud alum of the Sagebrush, which is an incredible student newspaper at the University of Nevada with the Reynolds School of Journalism. Uh, the student paper at North Carolina, it's a word I can't use on the air, but it said, what a cluster bleep, and they didn't yeah. bleep it out. That was their headline. Could you imagine being an editor of a student-run paper putting that as your headline? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty salacious, but I think they know more than anybody, the journalists in town, what the experience is like, because these are students who are going to class and they're getting that firsthand knowledge of what it feels like to be put in a position where you're doing on-campus classes um, more than anybody else uh, that's going to be trying to write about the situation in North Carolina. So if they feel like it's a cluster bleep, then that's probably what it is. I don't think they're going out of their way to try and make something up that's not there. So um, yeah. obviously the university agreed because they were the ones who canceled the in-person classes within a week of them starting. Now, Nevada doesn't start for a couple more weeks, so uh, we won't see exactly how things unfold there. They do have a COVID page on their website to kind of track positive cases, and I think they're up to 50 or 60 by now, and they haven't even started full classes. They did do some summer classes in person. So yeah, it's, it's, it's gonna be, it's a tough decision either way, because you want your kid in class, you want them getting socialized, you want them getting educated, you want them to try and get back to some kind of a routine, and we don't know exactly how likely they are to contract the disease. Uh, you know, there's been a couple hundred uh, in Northern Nevada who would be in that K to 12 group who have tested positive. So it does happen, it's not like they're immune. Um, but they don't seem quite as likely to get it. So we'll see. I mean, we've taken precautions. We have a, a battle plan in our house that if one of our kids get it, this is what we're going to do moving forward because my wife is a nurse and she can't be getting it and passing it on to her patients. Uh, I could take the hit maybe a little bit more since I work from home, not that I want to get COVID. But um, I think a lot of families in Washoe County are all talking about these things is what if one of our kids gets this what do we have to do moving forward as a family so not what you want to be thinking about as you start a school year but I will say both of my kids were pretty excited to go back to school and that was good to see yeah they want to get back they want to see their teachers they want to see their friends they want to get back into mm -hmm. their routine because they're going through something that is unprecedented and I mean we haven't seen it since you know since the, the late 19 uh 1918 I mean since we saw something like this but uh, to get back to uh uh, a, a mailbag question that this could have been an entire mailbag is that 2010 football team. Um, to have the privilege of being able to cover that team, as we both did, Chris, uh, for different media outlets, uh, unbelievable year, unbelievable group of young men to be part of that, to be able to go to San Francisco and see them take over the square with you know, 10,000 fans in the square. And, uh, you know, the estimates are between 25 and 30,000, maybe more Pac fans make the trek. Uh, if you ask around town, you'd think a quarter of a million Pac fans made the trek because there's so many people that say, oh, I was there at at and I was there at the ballpark to see him beat Boston College. This team is eligible for the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, I mean, off the top of your head, there's a dozen of these guys that you go, yeah, oh yeah, he's a shoo-in, he's a shoo-in, he's a shoo-in. Um, just give me five, you know, just, just, and then I'll have a second question for you. 
Yeah, so they are eligible to go in the seniors in that 2010 class and the Wolfpack announced last week that they're taking nominations for this year's Hall of Fame. They might not actually have a ceremony, but they will name a class and maybe have to induct it next year. So um, I think for sure that 2010 class uh, team goes in this year uh, and then you start looking at the players thereafter. I think the top five that have to go in the Hall of Fame is Colin Kaepernick, number one. Uh, obviously, he had a tremendous career, the only college quarterback with 4,000 rushing yards and 10,000 passing yards in a career. I think number two on my list is Vitawa, uh, almost 4,600 rushing yards and 53 touchdowns. Number two, all-time in school history in rushing yards and obviously a current staffer as Nevada's running backs coach. Uh, number three, I'd go Dante Moak, uh, just a tremendous, tremendous uh, pass rusher, first in program history and tackles for loss and second in sacks, uh, played in the NFL for three seasons as well. Uh, number four, I'd probably go Joel Batonio. So Joel didn't play a ton on that team. He was a redshirt freshman that year, but uh, this is a two-time NFL All-Pro. I mean, this is the only guy other than Charles Mann who's been a two-time NFL All-Pro. Um, so Joel is certainly a Wolfpack Hall of Famer. And then the last one's kind of tough, but I'll go with Richard Matthews. Richard Matthews was a two-time all whack player. I think he basically was the best player in that Boise State win. He was certainly the best player in that Craft uh, Fight Hunger Bowl win over Boston College. This is a guy who was originally committed to Oregon and then had to go to JUCO because of some grade issues. Uh, played in the NFL for seven seasons. So those would be my top five from that 2010 team that need to be in the Hall of Fame. But you could literally go 15 players deep and make a deserving case for all of those guys. I mean, in the crazy. NFL careers that, that aren't even mentioned. Brandon Marshall is in there. James Michael Johnson is in there. Jeff Nady, who uh, dabbled in the NFL, now coaching in the collegiate ranks. But yep, I do want to mention Big John Bender, who was one of the one of the guys who asked about this, and you had to put him in kind of the fringe category because that's how good this team was. So yeah, I, I think you solve a big problem by saying the team goes in first. So technically, all 100 people, all 100 players on the team or whatever, you're in the Hall of Fame. And you can always claim that, even if you are a third string whatever. That's still better than any collegiate career that any of us besides Rez had. Rez scored a touchdown in a bowl game, and I'll, I'll crow that every single time I get a chance because he won't say it, and I will. But you look at that team, and you induct them, and it's so disappointing that you can't have a huge ceremony to bring them back. So I don't know. Do you double up next year? Do you have just a special weekend for that team next year? You have to honor that team, Chris, don't you? Oh, for sure. Maybe you just do like back-to-back -back weekends. You have one Hall of Fame game and then you have another Hall of Fame game. But uh, I think Nevada will make sure all of these players get to come back to campus and enjoy each other's company because it's been a yeah. decade since a lot of these guys have really been able to have that fellowship and get together. And you mentioned the NFL li uh, links. Uh, you look at that team, 15 players from Nevada's roster that year played in at least one NFL game. That's an insane number of players uh, in the NFL on one roster. That doesn't include guys like Jeff Nady or Cody Fajardo or Brandon Wimberly or Brock Hecking uh, or Brett Roy. I mean, there are a number of other really good players that got into camps and things of that nature. But um, that, to me, was the most talented team in Wolfpack history in any sport. To think that 15 of your 85 scholarship players eventually made it up to the NFL. That just doesn't happen at schools like Nevada where you have that kind of talent. And it wasn't just guys who got to the NFL for a game or two. I mean, you're talking about Colin Kaepernick who led a team to a Super Bowl as a quarterback. You're talking about Joel Batonio, as we mentioned, a two-time NFL All-Pro. Rashard Matthews, almost 10 years in the NFL. Virgil Green, currently entering his 10th year in the NFL. Christian Barker, uh, Kyle Roberts, 
both won Super Bowl rings. Brandon Marshall, as you mentioned, a Super Bowl ring, had a very nice NFL career, signed contracts totaling around $35 million. James Michael Johnson was a starter in the NFL. Duke Williams had a pretty solid NFL career. These are guys who stuck in the league for a while. So um, it's nice to be able to think back on that team with these guys now being eligible to go into the Wolfpack Hall of Fame. And I'm sure one or two individuals will make it in this class, but you're going to see for the next 20 years, one or two guys from this team get in just because there's going to be such a log jam and it's going to take such a long time to be able to honor all of these guys individually and then look at other sports and athletes from other sports that are deserving. Yeah, I'll even throw two more names out there. Khalid Wooten, who was a big part of those teams, and Matt Gallus, who was an absolute warrior on that offensive line. I remember seeing Matt Gallus come off after the plays and he's just trying to get off the field because he's so beat up. He was undersized uh, right there up, up front and center. And you know, just just an absolute warrior. So yeah, I really hope and I do expect them to be uh, to be recognized and honored. And yeah, maybe that's a great idea. Go back to back, or maybe off weeks. You know, maybe a home week or an away week and a home week where you can honor these uh, these student athletes, male and female, that uh, are getting the ultimate recognition by their by their alma mater. Uh, much more to come here on NSN Daily. Right after the break, Alex Margulies will join us just outside of Yellowstone National Park. We're going to go road tripping with the big home. Coming up next. The busy month continues for all of us. Everybody's been uh, carrying their bricks, so to, spay, so to say. But Alex is carrying his bricks around the West Coast. And uh, right now, uh, yesterday you were in Twin Falls. You're right there on the Snake River. Saw some guys doing some base jumping. Where are you right now? It looks beautiful. It looks nice and cool. Yellowstone, Montana. It is right on the border of Yellowstone National Park. This is one of the main gateways uh, to get into Yellowstone National Park. So we got here. Uh, late last night, got in around midnight and uh, got some sleep and, and uh, hanging out here this morning before heading off into the park. And I spent uh, about a day and a half inside Yellowstone. Uh, I get to check it out. Uh, I've never been there before, so this will be a, a treat for me. And, and uh, I hear it is the bison rut right now. So the bison are supposed to be extra feisty. It's mating season. I saw a video of like a bison pushing another bison across yeah. the road. Uh, so definitely got to keep our distance from the bison. I heard some wolves last night. That was pretty nuts, actually, uh, laying in bed. And um, they got something to eat last night because they were telling all their friends for sure for about an hour. Uh, so it looks like you went kayaking yesterday. Uh, how did that go down in the Snake River? That was really cool. Honestly, uh, I had never really heard of Twin Falls. I mean, I knew the name uh, Twin Falls, Idaho, but I really didn't know what there was to do there. And this was a really cool deal because this was not really a plan of mine as part of the trip. But, you know, we reach out to some visitors authorities to see if they want to partner with us. And they jumped right on board and they said, we'd love to have you come in. We'll show you a great time. And they recommended that I go kayaking on the Snake River. And it was awesome. I mean, I haven't been in a kayak in a couple of years, but the water was perfect. I mean, it was it was so calm and glassy, which made it very comfortable and easy to get around. The temperature of the water was great. It had this kind of cool emerald green uh, tint to it, big rock walls surrounding you the entire way. And then there's just a lot to look at. Waterfalls everywhere. Uh, I really did not expect that about Twin Falls. I knew there was the big waterfall, Shoshone Falls, but I mean, everywhere you look, there's a waterfall draining down into the Snake River. Definitely a beautiful experience. Uh, it did not come without uh, some casualties to some of my gear, uh, which was very, very sad uh, as we got to Pillar Falls. 
But uh, other than that, it was a really phenomenal day on the water. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, after spending 24 hours there, I, I got to recommend it. I mean, if you're going to make a trip, it's about a seven-hour drive from Reno. You can easily spend a weekend there and, and find some cool stuff to do and, and some really pretty things to see. And if you're making it as part of a, a bigger road trip, maybe you're going to go up towards Coeur d'Alene or you're going to go up to Glacier National Park or you're going to go to Yellowstone or Jackson Hole. Um, I, I would say making that stop in, in Twin Falls is a really cool way to break it up for sure. Did you at least drop a pin so that somebody who maybe has some scuba gear can go hunting for uh, some sunglasses and some other gear? Yeah, so the sunglasses uh, bit the dust, as did the GoPro I was using, which captured all the footage I had to that point on the water, which was not a good situation. The water was moving pretty quickly, so I don't know uh, where that GoPro ended up. It was pretty deep, too. I tried to dive as far as I could go, and I couldn't find bottom. So, you know, I, I have a feeling someday a scuba diver is going to come across some nice uh, big Oakleys and a GoPro with some footage of uh, me kayaking. But, uh, you know, it's how it goes sometimes, I guess. You mentioned the wolves. That's interesting because there are obviously no wolves in Nevada, but we're called the Wolf Pack, the Nevada Wolf Pack. Yeah. Uh, it's actually pretty rare in the United States. There's some down in New Mexico and a few in Arkansas red wolves. But really, Yellowstone is the only place with a, a good collection of wolves. Are you going to be looking for them or uh, is that probably not advised, just given that they're maybe not the most human friendly animals? Ever? I definitely am going to keep my eyes out. You know, there's a couple of valleys here, Hayden Valley and Lamar Valley, that contain the vast majority of the wildlife and you know, I, I was told you could see a bear fighting a wolf. Uh, you, I mean, there's some stuff that goes down out here uh, that you won't see pretty much anywhere else in the country. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to keep my eye out for some wolves. Uh, they do say keep 100 yards minimum from bears and wolves. I think I will heed that advice. I don't fancy myself outrunning uh, a black bear or a wolf uh, at this point. Uh, bison, I'm told you're supposed to keep 25 yards away. I might even stay a little further from them right now, considering uh, they're a little feisty right now. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely hope I can see some wolves. I've, I've heard, you know, if, if there's a bison carcass, that's kind of what brings the wolves out. Uh, bison carcass, the bear will come and eat it. And then the wolves will come and kind of pick up uh, the carcass once the bears are done with it. So that's your best chance to see wolves. But I think it is still kind of tough, uh, but I'm definitely going to try over the next couple of days for sure. Yeah, you know, do me a favor. I mean, I can we can replace a GoPro, and I, I'll buy you a pair of sunglasses, man. I can't replace an Alex Margulies, all right? That's the type of gear I can't, can't replace. Yeah. Um, I know the stuff you're shooting right now, this is going to be aired down the line a little bit, get you back, let you do some editing. Uh, Bryce Canyon, though, tell me about that, and that's uh, what's coming up next to actually be aired. Yeah, we ran this uh, on our sister station, News 4, uh, last night, and um, we went from Zion National Park to Bryce Canyon, and I got to tell you, if you're going to make the drive to Zion, which many people a world-class national park, brings a lot of international tourists, Bryce Canyon doesn't quite have that same appeal to the international tourists. They haven't really heard of it. Um, but it's equally as spectacular. And if you're going to drive out to that part of Utah, you really ought to spend at least 12 hours. You know, spend an evening and then a night and then a morning in Bryce Canyon at the very, very least because it's so cool. Uh, very unique rock formations. Uh, geologically, uh, it's one of the most unique things in the world. And the fact that they have all these hoodoos, they're these kind of spire-shaped rock formations um, that are kind of carved over time. And, and it's, it's caused by this sinking grounds like on the side of this plateau. Um, but there are more hoodoos at Bryce Canyon than any other place combined 
in the entire world. So it's really fascinating to look at from above. Really cool to go hiking down into Bryce Canyon. And then at night, uh, we'll show this to you later this week. The night sky there is probably the nicest I've ever seen. Uh, there is absolutely no light pollution. It's considered an international sky park. Uh, it's rated as having zero to 10% light pollution. So some of the, the astrophotography that we took and even just looking at the stars at the naked eye um, w was truly phenomenal. What time did you guys have to get up to do that? That's a, that's a middle of the night kind of thing, yeah? Yeah, so the way it all kind of went down, so we, we went to sunset and got some sunset photography, went back to camp and ate a little dinner, and then pretty much right after that, we went down and did the nighttime stuff because that was around the very end of the Neowise comments. We got there around 10 o'clock at night, 10.30 at night, and we took photos of the comet and stuff from kind of the up above portion of Bryce Canyon until about 12.30 or so. And then uh, Rez went to bed and Culp and, my, Culp and I were just so geeked up on this. I'd never taken photographs like this ever before. So I was really interested in learning and I felt like this was such a unique opportunity and he was all geeked up about it. So the two of us actually hiked back into the amphitheater. We took some flashlights and some lanterns. We actually went down into the amphitheater amongst all of these rock formations and brought some lights and tried to kind of frame up the Milky Way with the right, the, the rocks in the foreground. Um, we ended up uh, snatching some really, really cool photographs. So if you want to check those out, you can find those on our website uh, later this week, NevadaSportsNet.com. That story will air Thursday on News 4, Friday here on NSN. But here is part one of our piece on Bryce Canyon as we take you down to some hikes and check some stuff out from the upper portions as well. Road Trippin' is sponsored by Sprad's RV and Christensen Automotive. After an incredible two-hour drive from Zion National Park through Red Canyon, we now bring you to Bryce Canyon National Park. Hey everybody, Alex Margulies here for Road Trippin' presented by Sprad's RV. We're here at Inspiration Point, one of the amazing viewpoints here at Bryce Canyon to take in one of the most impressive geological formations that you'll find on the planet. And we're going to take you down into the park, do some hikes here at Bryce Canyon, show you all the amazing viewpoints, and we're doing it with our friends over at Bryce Canyon Scenic Tours. Let's check it out. What makes Bryce Canyon special? probably our geological formations. Uh, we exist in a system that started 35 to 50 million years ago, and today we have what are called hoodoos. They're these little pinnacles and spires that you see out on the edge. There are over 28,000 catalogs, which means there are more here than anywhere else combined on the planet. Check this out. Am I gonna make it? Oh wow, man, it really opens up in here. That's so cool. When people come to Bryce for the first time, I see the child inside of every adult as they peer into these canyons. It's insane, huh? Yeah. Right? I'm like, we, gotta, we don't have all day, but we can't stop taking pictures. I see the magic that we have inside of our formations excite literally every person I've seen out here. They're red, they're orange, amazing rocks, these hoodoos. 
you feel like you're walking through Mars. It really takes your breath away. Now, one really cool part of our experience is we once again had some e-bikes thanks to our friends at Out of Here e-bikes. I can't recommend it enough. If you're going to Zion or Bryce Canyon, check those out. It's a great way to get around and maximize your time at these amazing national parks. We'll have more of Road Trippin' next time. I'm Alex Margulies saying so long from Bryce Canyon. Just some amazing video, drone footage, uh, just some great stuff. And I know you guys really busted your tails on this one. I do have to ask you one thing, very candidly, before we let you go. And Rez is producing the show, so he can pipe in and shut any of us up at any time he wants. Yep. He's the guy in charge. You've been on now three road trips. One team was your wife, Sonny, and your dog, Bubba. And your other team was yep. Rez and Culpa. Who have been the better travel partners? I, I said this before, I, you can't, I can't really choose one or the other. Okay, obviously, you know, spending time with my wife and my dog on the road is awesome. Uh, you know, these are really cool memories for us as a family uh, and something I'll, I'll definitely really cherish. We had a great trip to Oregon and we've, we've gotten off to an awesome start here in Yellowstone. So getting to do an RV trip like this with my wife and with Bubba is really cool. But I got to tell you, when we went to Utah, you know, it was such an amazing experience with those two guys because, you know, on this trip, it's, it's me and, and I've got Sonny kind of helping pitch him where she can doing a little filming for me and, and helping out. But when you add three kind of people like that into an environment and you get the creativity of three people and the skill set that they bring to the table when it comes to their shooting, when it comes to their editing, uh, when it comes to the drone video, Brian Culpa brought specifically, you know, it just added such a different layer and element to the show. So I'm really fortunate, honestly, that I've been able to do this both different ways and, and, one is going to have drastically uh, better video, you know, and the fact that there's three of us and, and it's kind of shot in a different way and it allows me to be on camera in a different sense and be a little more engaging rather than more of like a stand-up and then tossing the packages, which is a little bit more like what we're doing here. Both awesome memories. I had a great time with those two guys as well. I'm sure it's a trip they'll never forget. Uh, the three of us cramped into the trailer and uh, – you know, Culpa sleeping on the floor, Rez sleeping like in a little uh, yoga mat size, like cot uh, above the deal. And, uh, you know, it, it's something, you know, the three of us will, will kind of have that, that memory for us and, and some cool experiences and then, you know, some awesome family memories as well. So I'm really thankful to get a chance to do this. And, and you know, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and ask for different things on these trips. Continue to do that. I'm happy to, to kind of help give my tips and recommendations. You know, one thing I was excited about by doing this is I really hope that I can inspire some other people to do this themselves and get out and, and take a drive and, and, and see, you know, the West. Because as I've said before, within 10, 12 hours of Reno, you can get to so many cool places. And if you're willing to kind of take the time and do that, and if you're fortunate enough to do that, like I have been, uh, I definitely recommend it. I, I think it's a really neat deal and, and something a year ago, I wasn't anticipating, you know, I would never have predicted that this is what going to be what was going to be my summer in 2020. And, and um, you know, it's definitely a silver lining of all the craziness that's happened. I've been able to do a lot of really cool stuff. And I feel very fortunate. Chris, I think what we need to do is we need to put a GoPro on Bubba's back. And get, get Bubba cam. I mean, Ripley cam. Bubba cam. Great in the first place. But Bubba cam. And I think that that's Emmy award winning right there. Just get the Bubba cam. Alex Margulies coming to us uh, from Yellowstone National Park. Al, appreciate the time, man. Uh, stay safe and uh, yeah, take care of you as equipment rather than the gear. That's, uh, that's what we need. <laughs> 
I'll let you know if I have any run-ins with any bears or wolves. <laughs> yeah, lions, tigers, bears, oh my. Uh, NevadaSportsNet.com. If you want to check out all those segments uh, from Road Tripping with Alex Margulis. We'll be right back here with much more coming up on NSN Daily right after this. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Of course, uh, so many possibilities, options being thrown out there day by day. And uh, this time, kind of a report kind of coming out that's saying that uh, maybe there's some discussions. I don't, I'm not going to say there's any weight behind this, Chris, but uh, Pete Thamel, who's a, who's a reporter, saying that uh, uh, Max subcommittee met on Sunday night for an early discussion of spring, spring football. Uh, they discussed linking with the Mountain West for postseason. No conclusions, just lots of questions. Uh, what do you take from that? Well, I mean, the Mountain West should be looking forward to what it should look like if you're going to play a spring season. There's no guarantee, obviously, that you are, but you have to at least kind of create kind of a plan that you want to be striving toward and kind of a goal moving forward. I think the biggest issue for all these conferences that have decided to play in spring is how many games do you play? Because this is all about player safety, supposedly. So playing two full college football seasons in one calendar year one from like February to April and another from September to December just does not jive with player safety. At that point, if you play like 10 games this season and then a full uh, slate of games next year, you're talking about playing 22 to 24 games in one calendar year and NFL players don't even do that. So um, I think it makes sense what the Mac is looking at, which is like a six to eight uh, game schedule. I think the Mountain West could do that. They could play within their own division. Everybody plays uh, everybody in their own division once in the regular season. That's five games. And then, and you play a Mountain West championship between the two winners there, that would be your sixth game. And then you have some kind of a crossover bowl season with other Mac schools where everybody gets to play in a quote-unquote bowl game uh, for a seventh game. And I think that gets you some revenue because you're able to justify to TV networks that you're playing enough games to give them uh, money to be able to put them on air, but you're not overly stressing your student athletes who you're trying to, you know, protect as much as possible from a, a health standpoint. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure the Mountain West uh, athletic directors are already in their mind trying to figure out what a season could look like in the spring if COVID-19 kind of turns the other way and they do feel comfortable playing uh, when we get to 2021. Well, we have kicked this around a little bit. Uh, not that anybody got the idea from us, but we kicked it around maybe a month ago, eight weeks ago, that what if Nevada played nobody but Fresno State, San Jose State, San Diego State, at UNLV, you know, teams in their in their division, but now you're adding in the idea of possibly, okay, maybe at the end of the year you play a MAC team and go, okay, this is going to be your bowl game. But yeah, I agree. I think it's got to you've got to throw in more bye weeks. You got to give these guys less practices. You want to take the stress physically if you can in college football as much as possible off of these players because it, say you play two thirds of the season now to play a bigger season in the fall. And maybe in the fall, you eliminate non-conference games. And you say, all right, this is how we're going to do this. Granted, that's a great moneymaker, and that's a huge revenue uh, shift when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to bringing money in. And that's what these universities need right now. Unfortunately, at the end of last week, we saw the reality of this and where we're sitting as a, as a, as a community, as a fan base, and, and up on the hill as a university. But, yeah, I, I like the idea of, okay, you play – five games in your in your division, whatever, you have a championship, you have a champion crown, and then, okay, you're calling around, and you don't really call it a bowl game. Maybe it's, okay, Central Michigan goes, all right, we'll meet you guys here, and we'll play a game. And it's just to get another game in. So I, I do not mind that, mind that idea. But, uh, yeah, unprecedented times, man. And uh, we just kind of have to roll with the punches and, uh, and just see, see what works. Uh, who knows where this thing's going to be in February. I saw a picture 
today of Wuhan, China, and there were 15 to 20,000 people at a pool party having a rave. Hasn't had a positive test since May, according to that report. Squished it out, now they're out partying. So, you know, maybe we can take a lesson from that. I don't know. Uh, coming up next here on NSN Daily, we'll stick with Wolfpack football. We are breaking down, Chris continues to break down the top uh, most important players for now the 2021 season. We'll go uh, up front to the union after the break. You know, Chris started off one of his uh, great lists. We are list makers. We are list breakers in breaking down of lists. And uh, the top most important Wolfpack football players for the 2020 season, obviously that season has now been has been pushed back. Uh, so now Chris has changed just one little digit to 2021 season. And uh, number 10, Nate Brown. you got to have a strong union if you want to win. Yeah, I figured I might as well finish the list. The Mountain West canceled its fall season when I was at number 15, and I didn't want to leave everybody hanging and wanted to honor some of these other players going into the season. But Nate is a perfect example of why you want to try and get in a 2020-21 season this spring because this is a senior who's in his fifth year at Nevada, and if the Wolfpack in the Mountain West are not able to play football this year, um, there's no guarantee that these seniors are allowed to come back next year because you're already talking about a huge financial issue and are you going to be able to justify uh, bringing back 15 more scholarship seniors for another year on top of the players you already have coming back in your incoming recruiting class so for Nate's sake and for a lot of these other seniors sake I hope they do get to play this season as many games as they can get in but yeah Nate is the only player who has started every single game for the Wolfpack the last two seasons and is on this year's roster so he started 26 straight games He's been a very versatile player this is a guy who started at uh, right tackle and right guard um, he started all 13 games at right tackle last year, but they're actually moving him inside to right guard this year. And I think that will really help the inside of the union, which was pretty poor last year. I mean, you look at most of the metrics, Nevada had one of the 10 worst offensive lines in the nation last season. And a lot of the issues were running the ball. And a lot of those issues are running the ball up the middle and being able to get some creases for Toa Tawa and Devante Lee. I mean, Toa Tawa ranked 24th out of 25 running backs last year in the Mountain West in yards per carry. And he is a much better running back than that's to help. Not because of Nate. Nate was Nevada's basically a big blocker of the year. Uh, he is my top uh, offensive lineman on my list in this top 25 countdown. He was a very good player last year. And I think he'll be a very good player this year at a more natural position at guard. But certainly the union must play much, much better for Nevada's offense to get to its usual standard. Well, I think this is an opportunity. I think, I think Nevada's offensive front really has a chance to leap forward by uh, tremendous bounds this year because of what happened last year. You lose Jake Nelson early on in the year to friendly fire. He goes down. So you lose your left tackle, your senior, the guy who's leading the union. And it just kind of crumbled a little bit after that. But you know, this is a, a, a unit that I think really can improve and it can improve dramatically. And if it improves dramatically, you're going to see the run game improve dramatically. You're going to see Carson Strong uh, vertical more than horizontal. And now that it is his job, it is Carson Strong's job. I don't expect to see on a, on a good season. If we play, if we see Nevada play six games or eight games in spring of 2021, nobody but Carson Strong takes snaps unless Nevada is blowing somebody out. That is the way I look at it. And this offensive front has a chance to improve dramatically. And, uh, you know, every, every time we have seen a team from Nevada do very, very well, we go back to that 2010 team, Bender, Vitonio, Nady, guys up front like Gallus. There's four right there that are possible Hall of Fame inductees at the University of Nevada. 
all just on the offensive line. But that that 2010 team was pretty darn special uh, all around. But uh, yeah, I think this offensive front has a chance to to do something special and and gain a lot of its pride and a lot of respect back. But uh, if you want to check the entire write up, it's NevadaSportsNet.com. As Chris continues, uh, now he's cracked the top ten, but we are going to to persevere on and uh, and make sure that all of these young student athletes get their recognition. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, the SEC has unveiled kind of a policy when it comes to fans. Apparently, the SEC just says we're going to play football, but uh, we'll get into that after the break. NSN Daily rolling on here on your Tuesday. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of the elephant in the room is that the SEC is basically saying, well, we're going to play football no matter what, despite you're seeing crowds on campus and I understand the the excitement of collegiate spirits and these these kids who maybe grew up in Tuscaloosa watching the Crimson Tide their entire lives and now they're 18 and they're freshmen that are going to be uh, that are going to be joining the football team or, or they're going to be able to enjoy enjoy or watch whatever the football team but you know they they released some guidelines per report I'm being harassed right now I'm actually going to have to just show you what, what's going on here. Hold on, everybody. Hold on. Let me, let me show you. This is, yep. There you go. That's Clyde. So <laughs> go, find, go, go find something else to do for, give me five minutes. Okay, buddy. Thank you. Uh, the SEC announcing that uh, they, um, they're basically going to leave it up to each school. Chris, this is, is this surprising to you at all? I mean, I mean, the SEC kind of going, all right, here are some recommendations. Um, if fans are with their families, uh, they don't have to wear masks while they're with their families. Does this surprise you or, or no? Not really, because there's no leader when it comes to the NCAA. There's nobody who says from the top that these are what our rules are and all of our institutions and members who are part of the NCAA are going to abide by. So it kind of just leads to this trickle-down effect where you have individual conferences making up their own rules and then you have individual schools making up their own rules. Uh, and yeah, the SEC basically said, you know, you can do attendance if you want. You could do tailgating if you want. Um, neither of those things sound overly safe, but the SEC has made it pretty clear that they want to play football this year, and they were able to kind of lasso the ACC into the same uh, kind of mindset. And the big pin has really been the Big 12. If the Big 12 had folded it up and went with the Big 10 and went with the Pac-12, I think everything would have folded up and everybody would have been trying to play in the spring. But the Big 12 has been pretty strong uh, in saying that they're going to side right now with the ACC and the SEC. And I think there's probably some resentment among the Pac-12, among the Big 10, among the MAC and the Mountain West. Even when we spoke with Nevada AD Doug Newth last week and he was asked about these other schools trying to play, he said, I don't know if they know something in the science and research we don't know or the Pac-12 or Big 12 don't, or Big 10 don't know. But I think they're trying to figure it out. Are they going to play? I don't know. Um, so clearly their doctors are telling them one thing and the SEC doctors are apparently telling the SEC something else. So not a huge surprise that they want to put fans in the stands as well. Uh, and I guarantee you, they'll, as many fans as they allow, they're going to fill those seats because people down in the South and the SEC and the ACC love their football. So it will be interesting to see if they go through with this. I mean, we are getting fairly close to, you know, the first games. We're only about three weeks away. And up to this point, the SEC and the ACC are still holding strong with their thought that they're going to play this fall. Let's get back to the ACC then. I mean, North Carolina, as one journalist called it, a cluster bleed <laughs> on campus. How do you play football when you have an outbreak on campus? 
uh, you play because the money's there and because it appears as if people of this age group are not likely to pass away if they do get COVID-19. And I think that's a bit of a selfish mindset because yeah, maybe they don't get sick from it, but they could pass it on to other people who do get sick from it. And I think that's been the biggest issue overall with COVID-19 is that it doesn't necessarily uh, impact the person who has the selfish mindset. A lot of times it impacts somebody else. So if it's not going to directly impact you, no matter what your actions are in terms of having to go to the hospital or being put on a ventilator or fighting for your life, uh, then you are a lot more prone to going out there uh, and making maybe poor decisions that could impact somebody else. It is interesting to see kind of the split. This is basically, I mean, to some degree, like a civil war. I mean, you see the South all saying, we're not uh, going to hold up camp and we are going to play in the fall. And then you see the North and the West all saying, no, we're going to listen to our doctors and do what they say. And they're telling us that there might be heart issues down the road for these athletes. There are going to be liability issues down the road for these athletes. If they do get sick, let's just try and delay this thing and get some more information and play in the spring. You saw Nick Saban today say, you know, he would feel like it'd be kind of a quote unquote JV season uh, if they do play in the spring, because so many of these top level athletes are going to decide not to play at all and just get ready for the NFL draft because you would be overlapping the pre-draft workouts with when a season would be played. So I think that's also a concern is do you see a guy like Trevor Lawrence preseason offensive player of the year, Warren Jackson from Colorado state has entered the draft and said he's not playing in the spring and the preseason mountain West defensive player of the year, Justin Rice from Fresno state, a linebacker has put his name in the transfer portal and is leaving Fresno state. So there are clearly impacts for trying to play in the spring. You've already lost the best offensive and defensive player in the Mountain West to other opportunities. And I think the SEC and the ACC are scared that they could potentially lose a lot of their top players to the NFL if they decide to you know, play in the spring rather than go forward with the fall plan. Unfortunately, the same old adage, only time will tell, continues. And we've been saying that since March. But uh, yeah, I'm going to be very curious to see uh, what happens and if, if there is an outbreak among one school in the SEC, do they just kind of shun that school and say, sorry, we're going to continue to play? I don't know. Do they do what Major League Baseball has done and say, well, you're shut down, and every time you can't play for a week, that's a loss in your column, and it's a forfeit. I don't know what they're going to do. We'll be right back here on NSN Daily to wrap things up. The Las Vegas Golden Knights with a chance to close out the Chicago Blackhawks tonight on NBC Sports Network. Uh, we'll uh, tell you when you can see that coming up. I want to thank Alex Margulies for taking the time to pull over to the side of the road and talk with us uh, outside of Yellowstone as he continues throwing together the, uh, the road tripping uh, uh, segments that you can see on our website, NevadaSportsNet.com. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights can uh, knock out the Blackhawks right now. Uh, they can do it tonight. They're up 3-1, 7-30. The puck drops on NBC Sports Network. Um, Chris, the Knights look good, but the team right now that looks good to me too is the Blues. The Blues were down 0-2 to Vancouver and last night, Vancouver looked like they were skating in cement, and the Blues were physical and just dominated right now. Uh, I don't know. Maybe being in quarantine, I've become an even bigger hockey fan. Yeah, we'll see if the Knights can close them out. I mean, they did lose the last game, but they outshot Chicago 49-25, to and Corey Crawford just had an amazing night in goal for Chicago. But that's what can happen in a playoff series, and that's why it can switch so quickly, is if a goalie's hot, there's not much you can do as the opposing team. So we'll see if Vegas can pull out the uh, series win tonight. That'll do it for us tonight here on NSN Daily. For Anthony Resnick and Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio. We'll see you tomorrow.